Coming up next, I'll share the fascinating secret to Patrick Bet David's success. And then, American workers want a four-day work week, but they have a condition. We'll unpack that and more next. Helping you win in your work life so that you're winning in the rest of your life. I'm Ken. This is The Ken Coleman Show. I want you to be energized by your work, not exhausted by it. So uh, I have had the extreme privilege, and I mean, I say that with the greatest of, uh, amount of gratitude I can summon. For years and years and years, I was host of the Entree Leadership Podcast, which remains to this day one of the uh, best leadership podcasts in the world. Uh, my my colleague and my uh, mentor and my leader, Dave Ramsey, has now taken over the program as I uh, obviously came this direction several years ago. And and uh, so my role as host of the Entree Leadership Podcast was I did the interviews and the conversations and uh, did uh, almost 400 interviews in three and a half years. So uh, a lot of fun times, a lot of great conversations. And so every once in a while, I like to go back into the, the way back machine, and it's not that very far back. But I, I'm going to pull just a, a brief moment, if you will, that I think is really going to entertain you and challenge you from my conversation with Patrick Bet-David. Now, Patrick Bet-David is, uh, in a phrase, a force of nature. Coming to this nation as an immigrant with his family when he's at the age of 10, had some traditional jobs, and has become a giant in the financial marketplace, and now has really become a tastemaker, a trendsetter, a conversation guider, a guy who has tremendous influence with his with his uh, podcast and YouTube presence and social media presence and beyond. But he really represents, in my mind, the American dream. His entire story is the American dream. And he's not bashful about it. And uh, I find him to be uh, uh, an absolutely impressive individual. And it was a great joy to have a conversation with him on the Entree Leadership Podcast. If you want to listen to the whole interview, you can go get it there. But I'm going to pull just an excerpt, and I want you to listen to this. And this is going to unpack for you what I believe is, a, is the fascinating secret behind Patrick Bet David's success and actually something that you can emulate. This is not limited to Patrick. I mean, and he's, a, he's a rock star. He's unique, as are you. But I think there's a great lesson from this bit of our conversation. Let's roll it. So I looked at my resume. Kent, please do not laugh at this resume, but this was my resume. Let me tell you my resume what it looked like. I worked at haagen I had Burger King. I had Bob's Big Boy, and I had the military, and a little bit of experience at Bally's, and I'm trying to get a job at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. So I knew my resume was weak. I made a cover letter back in the days we used to fax. There wasn't monster jobs or any of this stuff. You remember the fax days. So I said, I'm gonna, I got 100 fax numbers from the Yellow Pages, and it was Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, Goldman Sachs, all these guys. I knew nothing about it, but I knew their financial services. So I made a cover letter. My cover letter is what got me the job. Here's what the cover letter was. I took the best joke that I had, and I put it on the cover letter, and then I send it to 100 places. Following my joke was the following line. I said, if you're laughing after reading this joke, this is exactly how my clients are going to feel when they do business with me. They're going to love me. If you want someone like this part of your team, give me an offer. Help me work for your company. Hmm. I send 100. I got 30 calls. 15 were just laughing at my joke. They thought it was funny. The other 15 gave me interviews. And then finally, I started working on Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. And then after Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, my first day was 9, 10, a day before 9, 11. And then I left Morgan Stanley. I went to Transamerica. And then we started our own firm. 
in October of 09, PHB agency with about 66 agents out of one office in Northridge, California. And now uh, we're at 3,200 licensed insurance agents in America, 49 states. We're the fastest growing financial firm in America. We went from zero to $100 million valuation in seven years. And we write more insurance with companies like AIG and Foresters and many others than any other marketing organization in America. This is how the progression took place from me getting out of the army to where we're at now today. Fascinating, isn't it? You thought that I was going to drop some amazing strategy on you. The dude took a joke, he put it on a cover letter, and then he faxed the cover letter and the resume to all these different people, and that yielded a breakthrough moment. Sometimes we overthink opportunity. Sometimes we overthink success. We get in our head, and we'll come up with a couple ideas, and then we edit it. Patrick Bet David is a force of nature. The guy's one of the most influential people uh, in in the personal growth space, and this is how he got from the army, from the military, into the private sector. All he had in his resume, you heard him, were a bunch of fast food retail and the military, and he's trying to go for a big-time finance job. And, And most of us, me included, if I was trying to make that jump, I'd be overthinking, coming up with strategy. I would certainly be connecting. I believe in connecting. But that's a lot of work. And I love that he just went, you know what? I'm going to stand out. How can I stand out? And he comes up with a joke, and then he gives her the explanation. If you laughed at this joke, imagine what it's going to be like for my clients. And here's what he did. There's a very simple formula. So here's the fascinating, and it's a little bit odd and strange, yes, to go about it that way. It is. Because, you know, the cover letter, if you go online and go, the strategy behind a good cover letter. I mean, it'll be pages upon pages upon pages of experts. I mean, I've written an article about cover letters. Throw it in the trash. Unless you're going to do something like this, A cover letter is nothing more than a formality. I get it. If it's required, of course, you got to play the rules, play by the rules. But this guy got the rule and he went, I'm going to stand out. And so here's the formula. Patrick Bet David was bold. And because he was bold, he was unique. So few people are willing to be bold. Think about it. Bold involves risk. It could backfire. He knew that could backfire. Dude sent 100 faxes, got 30 responses. That's phenomenal. Talk to a marketer today and say, hey, if I could guarantee you 30% return on this marketing strategy, would you do it? They'd say, are you kidding me? When do we start? He was bold. He was bold in his approach. He was bold. And because he was bold, he was unique. In other words, he stood out. It's the first impression factor. It still matters. And when you are competing for an opportunity, whether you're switching industries, whether you're trying to move up in an industry, listen, whether you're trying to get the girl or get the guy, can I just tell you, boldness will always be rewarded. Is it rewarded every time? No. 
But is it rewarded eventually? Absolutely. And I love that. I'm so glad we gave give you that little bit of advice from Patrick Beck David. There's boldness there. Why? Because he was like, hey, I got to stand out. I got to do it differently. I don't have a resume that is going to make me stand out. So my cover letter's got to stand out. And in, in doing so, I got to be different. And so he was. I love it. Boldness leads to you standing out. If I'm bold, I'm unique because so very few people in this world today are bold. Most are cautious. Most are absolutely fearful. Be fearless. Be bold. That makes you unique and opportunities will open for you. Hey, I want you to stop right now and just listen to this. I want you to imagine life four months from now, but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, if you're enjoying the show, I would love for you to help us grow. You can do that by liking the videos you're watching here on YouTube, subscribing to the channel, and then sharing those videos that you believe will be uh, valuable to other folks. And then if you're listening via the podcast app that you enjoy, uh, give us a follow, a five-star review, and share. All right, I have been telling you about the trend of the four-day work week. And I've told you that I believe it is coming. I don't know to what level the four-day work week will be adopted in the United States because it has a whole bunch of logistical nightmares attached to it. It is not a one-size-fit-all. It will not work for some companies. It will be a disaster. And it will work well for others. And uh, that I am assured of. Uh, I'm assured of that, but I uh, but when it's going to be adopted, to what level, not sure. But Uh, So more update on this. CNBC uh, has got an article here that cites a new study on four-day work week as now this becomes a a topic that is out there. And I don't think these results are going to surprise you that much. But there's a lot of good data here. So let's dive in. Now remember, as you're watching this uh, or you're listening to this, feel free to give us your comment, share. Let's, Let's get the conversation started. Uh, an overwhelming majority of workers say they'd be interested in a four-day work week. Duh. No surprise there. It's 87%. This is a new survey from Morning Consult. 87% said they'd be interested. Okay, I'll kick the tires. Tell me more. Interested in a four-day work week. 82% believe that widespread adoption in the U.S. would be successful. I think that's too positive. I don't think that the four-day work week will... Uh, will be widespread at first. I just don't. And, I, and I'll tell you why I believe that. I'll go ahead and dive into this. 
If you look at where we are on remote work right now, remote work was heavily adopted in the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, but now it is swung back to pre-pandemic levels. And even big-time companies that were pro-remote work, and I'll talk about that later in the program, they're pulling back. So that's why I don't know that the four-day work week is truly going to be widely, I mean, just across the board, 99%. I don't know. I don't know if it ever gets there. We'll see. 75% of workers say they'd be interested in a shorter work week if remote work is allowed all or nearly all of the time. So let make sure you understand, there's the one condition. I'm in if I'm remote almost all of the time. That's 75%. 51% support a shorter work week if coupled with no remote work at all. So now that's interesting too. Uh, so 51% said, I'll do it. Um, if it's not, if we say no remote work, which is fascinating to me. Now, keep in mind what a four-day work week, as it is now being proposed and studied, is a four-day work week, 10-hour days. So you have a longer day. Uh, 93% of millennials and 88% of Gen Xers lead the way in being interested in a shorter work week. No surprise there. They crave flexibility, floating freedom. That's what their life has been like. They have less time in the workforce in the traditional manner that we know it. Baby boomers show the least amount of interest, but 72% uh, still favor it. Uh, not surprising here. Because when you poll somebody and you ask this question, hey, I'm going to give you one extra day off, they don't even have to process that. <laughs> it's just like, sure, I I'm in. There's no thought process. They're not thinking through how that changes their workflow, they're not thinking through how that affects their stress, expectations. They're not thinking through that. They're just going, uh, I, 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 I only work four days a week? Yeah, sure. Where do I sign? That's how that goes. Um, so interestingly enough, this is the new conversation. Uh, no demographic report. Group reported interest and confidence levels below 70%. So there's overwhelming popularity for this idea for the reasons I just gave you. It's like, okay, sure. I'm in. I'll figure it out. I don't care how stressful it is. I don't care uh, what it does to me. They're just thinking surface only. Sure, four days a week. I'm in. I'll do it. The study also found that <clears throat> excuse me, four and five millennials say they're always, often, or sometimes too tired after work to enjoy things in their personal lives. Now, this to me is the bigger piece of the data. This is just mentioned briefly in the CNBC article as one of the findings of the study. But to me, is it's the most important piece of data. Because I think it's probably now they don't they don't give us in this article any other demographic in the workforce other than millennials. But it's across the board. Now I want you to just think about this. Four out of five. 
millennials say, I'm often too tired after work to enjoy things in their personal lives. Now, I want to really unpack that for a second. We're going, I'm going somewhere with this. Because if you're in a leadership position and you have any kind of influence or say over workflow, work arrangements like a four-day work week and things like this, and you are in a leadership position and you lead millennials, let's just, and we're just leaving it at millennials. It's the only piece of data I have to go off of. But this would be probably very true of, of Gen Xers and boomers alike. Too tired. Often they are too tired. After work, to enjoy things in their personal life. Now, let's just process that. What do you enjoy doing after work? Let me just fill in the blank. I'll tell you what I enjoy. I enjoy catching up with my wife and kids to see how their day goes. We got a nice little rhythm. I don't, of course, I got three teenagers, so you know I get about six words out of each kid, but still, I like catching up, at least thinking I'm catching up. I, I like getting caught up with my wife. What's going on? I like a little bit of just rest, catching up, reconnecting with everybody. I enjoy watching sports at night. I enjoy watching the occasional show. I enjoy reading. Almost every night I'm on my back porch. Unless it's really miserable out there, I'm reading at least one to two chapters a night out of a book that's challenging me. And I'm taking notes. Alex can attest. If you see books on my desk with sticky notes sticking out all the time, that's what I do. I read, I make notes, I put a sticky note in there, and I come back to it later. I enjoy that. I enjoy a good cigar. I enjoy a good cocktail with my friends, my wife. I enjoy pickleball. I enjoy golf. I'm just telling you my list, and I know I'm boring you. But I'm walking through the things that I enjoy doing. And if I am often too tired to do any of those things, this ought to be a massive fire alarm in your life. If you're just walking in the house and you are disengaged to the point that you are so mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted that you can't do those things, you need to change locations. You need to change the type of work you do. You need to wake up and go, life is too short and too precious to live this way. Now you start running through this and my brain goes deeper. If the person is too tired for this, how much hypertension do they have? Setting you up for a heart attack. How much stress do you have to be that exhausted? That stress, that high, is weakening your immune system. What's happening to your relationships when you're isolated? Or you're so tired, you're just like a like a big old bullfrog sitting on a log. Bet, bet. Life is too short to work this way, folks. Change it.
Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Let's get to the phones. Michael joins us in the Big Apple, New York City. Michael, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Ken, happy to be speaking with you. Thanks for taking my call. Well, I'm happy to talk to you, sir. What's up? So, uh, I'm at a job. Uh, I hate it. Don't enjoy it whatsoever. Um, I'm pretty much just what is I'm 36. What's the job? Trying to see. Uh, it's for insurance. Okay. What yeah, are you, what are you doing adjuster. specifically? An adjuster. Okay, gotcha. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Um, it's actually a completely different you know, field from what I used to be in. I kind of just took it uh, because I was actually terminated from my prior employment uh, due to uh, the COVID mandates. So I wanted to try something new, but yeah, now um, I don't enjoy it. I'm trying to figure out what the next move should be. Okay. Do you got any ideas? Uh, well, I've, I've always enjoyed working with kids, uh-huh. um, but I don't know that I want to be a teacher in, in a public school setting. I know there's a sure. private school out, but then pay is an issue. Yeah. What do you so, make right now? Right now I make 65000 a year. Okay. And was there ever a point in your, in your career to this, to this day? So it doesn't, I don't want you to just limit this answer to, uh, your insurance work, but have there been types of work, even roles that were enjoyable? I want you to pull out, like I, 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 I've always enjoyed this task or there was a time in my life when I enjoyed doing this. I want to pull some of those out right now and see if we can tie them into this, this passion piece of, of the people you want to help, the problem they have and the solution that would help that problem. So let's go back. What do we know that you were, that you enjoyed before anything? Um, just off the top of my head, I guess, I mean, I've worked with kids before, um, and just, uh, I would say teaching, I guess. I mean, I, I do enjoy that. What were you, what role were you in when you did that? It was at a treatment facility. Uh, so kids with, uh, psychological and behavioral issues. Aha. And what was your, what were you doing? What were you teaching them? Uh, it was pretty much, so from day to day, I was pretty much the acting supervisor, just uh, making sure all the daily uh, tasks, chores were complete, and I ran um, some groups with them, so just teaching them about money, hygiene, okay, good. things like that. Some life skills. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so you enjoyed that, largely? Yes. Okay. And what's the personal connection to these kids? There's something from your story. That's 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 made these kids stick out to you. Um, I, I would say, I guess, I mean, myself as a kid, I mean, I wasn't uh, the greatest kid out there. You know, I had a lot of uh, behavioral issues, so mm-hmm. maybe that's it. Yeah. What caused those behavioral issues in your mind? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe not having uh, my father was always involved with my life, but. I didn't grow up with him in the home, so I don't know if that contributed to it. Big contributor. Big. Trying to find out, why is my dad not around? Am I not enough? Am I not good enough? What's wrong with me? My dad doesn't doesn't want to live with me. And that's really natural. And so the reason I'm going back a little bit is because I think the clues to your future are 
in your past to go, there's a reason why I've always been drawn to kids that are troubled or kids that are behind the eight ball of life because that's what you felt like and and you made some decisions that you shouldn't have made, but here you are. And you want to help kids avoid those decisions or you want to help kids and or help kids that have made those decisions. You, you want to help them see themselves now maybe probably the way you see yourself, that you are a productive member of society and you can do good things. And so the reason I'm, I'm, I'm retelling all of this to you about you is because I think that informs the passion and the mission. Passion is work I love, and mission means the results that matter deeply to me. I want to produce these results in the world. And so what we got to figure out is, all right, am I going to deliver these results to help kids and, and young people? Um, am I going to do that directly or indirectly? Because I've got the reality here that, you know, I need to make at least 65000 I'd like to make more. So as we're ideating, Michael, we've got to see what the future could be, and then you'll decide what the future should be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's, that's lining up for your brain? Yes. Yes. So if you could describe a job to like you'd start tomorrow and I'd give you, let me say I gave you a bump of 80, uh, uh, 20,000, put you at 85,000. What would you be doing all day? Um, come on, man, the money's there. What would you be doing? What would your day look like from a work standpoint? Uh, I've, I've always thought about just, you know, maybe like, starting or running some type of, you know, Christian school, something of that nature. Interesting. Interesting. So now let's just put that for, for this discussion, because I'm, I'm doing an exercise that you're going to be able to repeat after we're off the phone. And let's put the, uh, you're the founder of a, of a Christian school. And let's put that up as a mountain that we're interested in climbing. We're not saying it's the one. We're saying it, it is a possible one. Agreed? Right. Okay. So now you've got to ask yourself, what would have to be true? What would I have to accomplish? What would need to happen? This is action list here in order for that to be a reality. Okay. Well, there's money that has to be raised. You'd have to launch it. You got to start with a smaller group of families and students. You got to build it. And you got to go. Is that something I'm willing to do? Because that's a journey. Do I have mm-hmm. the credit? Do I have the accreditations or the certifications? I mean, what are the limitations that I have right now? They're limitations. They don't. That doesn't mean that they're lids. It's just right now I'd have to overcome that. And you begin to walk through that. Then you go, okay, well, I, I don't want to go to public school because it's not going to pay me very well and it's not a great environment. But what about a charter school, a private school? Could I? Or do I get involved with a with a nonprofit or a larger ministry where I can? make things happen and I coordinate and I'm making the operations run smoothly. And, and as a result of that, which I've done that before, and that's a skill set and an experience I've got. And then on top of that, I I may mentor a group of kids, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe it starts with, I hate insurance right now, but is there something in a different industry or the insurance industry that I can do? That's a little bit more enjoyable. And I go, I'm good at it. And I, and I do enjoy this type of work, but that takes a lot of the, angst and a lot of the dread out of the job and then you start volunteering 
in a different area and you begin to get your feet wet that way and you bridge. Here's what I'm doing. I'm getting your brain to work. There are multiple paths. But what you have to figure out is how can I do the work that I really enjoy, create the results that matter to me, and make a decent to good living? And so we've got to figure out first the things that I'd like to do that would give me joy and meaning. And then you go, all right, now, what's that ladder look like? What can someone make? What are all the different ways someone can be attached to that work? So, for instance, if someone called me, Michael, and said, I've always loved the game of baseball, but I'm not good enough to play pro baseball, and I want to be around the sport, but I can't be a player, I can't be a manager, then I'd say, all right, what are you good at? And let's say that person said, I'm really good at numbers, good with accounting, all that. go, all right, you know what I'd do? I'd be working myself into accounting and I'd be looking for an opportunity to eventually join a major league franchise as an accountant. And I'm on the team, baby. I'm an employee of a major league baseball team. I love baseball. I'm not directly involved in the baseball operations, but I am as close as you can get to it without having a uniform on. And that's the, I know that's a little metaphor, but that's the idea right now. That's what you're looking for. I want to do this. Can I do it? What would it take to do it? Would it pay me what I need to make? If the answer is no or no, then how else can I get close to it and be a part of it? Because that's what it's really about. Mission and work greater than yourself. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to the Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.